Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown, the greatest city in the world. This is The Conversation. I am Tommy Weber. Welcome aboard. Uh, Weather's warming up a little bit. Hopefully, it's a harbinger of things to come. Start getting outdoors, playing a little golf. A lot of our players, of course, are getting ready to go down to spring training, and college season is almost underway. A lot of great things happening, and we have a great guest with us on the line. First things first, I got to commend... Miles, who's directing the ship tonight on his uh, quasi-date with Emmy Rossum that appeared uh, on the website. Miles, good work there. That's excellent work on your behalf. Way to go. Um, make sure you keep that thing because that's about as good as it's going to get, Miles. <laughs> so uh, there's so much to talk about um, in the interest of full disclosure. So uh, in 2011, um, I was running the Staten Island Tide. It was our second year in existence. We had made the playoffs in our first year, and uh, we were getting our team together, as you always do in these summer leagues. And you get a lot of calls from coaches, and the reality is you sort of take them with a grain of salt because the script is pretty much the same no matter who the kid is or who the coach is. Uh, we want you to take this kid, and you know he's playing for us, and he's really good, and he's a great kid, and he runs through a wall for you, and he'll you know he'll drive the team bus, and... He goes to church every Sunday and he you know, helps to cure the sick and feed the hungry and you get the whole list. So um, I was in my office one day. I always remember where I am when I get these epic calls because this really was turned out to be a very epic call. Um, I get a call from a guy from the University of Buffalo of all places. And the only thing I know about Buffalo is that it snows a lot there. It really does. Um, it's really cold. And uh, I don't know anything about their baseball program, but he's got a kid. And uh, he tells me, you know, the kid's a really good kid and outfielder and he'll play. And I'm like, and for some reason, I don't really know why. It wasn't an informed reason, that's for sure. Uh, I was curious because we had never housed a kid before, but we were going to have to house this kid. So I I took a flyer and I wound up speaking to the kid and his father. Um, And uh, it turned out to be one of the most fortuitous phone calls that I've ever gotten in my baseball life because that kid uh, really, he didn't just send us a kid, he sent us an ACBL championship. Jason Kanzler turned out to be the best player in the ACBL over the last 10 years. Um, went on to sign with the Minnesota Twins, win the gold glove in the NCAA twice and do all these great things. And, um, you know, uh, my guest and I are very, very close friends with Jason to this day and Jason coached with us up in the Cape and now he's at the Houston Astros. So, um, I, I'm I'm forever grateful to my guest. He is the uh, North Carolina Central coach, head coach. He's also very much involved at a very high level with USA Baseball. Um, he is one of the best baseball people I know, and he is Jim Kerner. Jim, welcome aboard. Wow, Tommy, that's a great introduction. Thank you for having me. Excited to you hear that. You hear the applause. You hear the applause. <laughs> All right, that's a big round of applause. Come on. <laughs> You didn't know. Like you didn't know what your Q rating was until you did the conversation with Tommy Weber. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But I mean, that was. You remember that call, right? Oh, I remember the call because I remember when listening to you talk to Jason. Was it last week or the week before? And you mentioned getting a phone call, and I, I texted Jason right after that, and I said, "Hey, you need to remind Tommy that was me." <laughs> so, uh, absolutely remember that phone call. Yeah, great guy, great guy. Uh, obviously, we 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 love him, and uh, he's going to do great things in Pro Bowl and uh, all good stuff. You know, you and I had a, a half hour, a very very fun-filled half hour conversation that had an awful lot of information and touched on a lot of things that we both sort of uh, see uh, direction the game is going in right now, both at the amateur and professional level. Good and bad, you know, there's, there's always room for, for both, obviously. Um, and one of the things that I was struck by uh, was when you said something to me, you said uh, you see a certain sameness in players now. Um, can you please elaborate for everyone on that? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's a great point. Uh, it, it just, it seems to me that you have a lot of these experts teaching kids to do things the same way. And it's a lot of cookie cutter uh, approaches out there. And some of the athleticism seems to be lost in, in this, uh, instruction that we're getting nowadays. And, and these kids are, you know, being taught to do things that, you know, maybe are quite natural for them and aren't, um, you know, making, making the best use of their own athletic abilities. If, um, I mean, look, neither of us is at this, uh, you know, we're both at this a long time. So, um, we go back far enough, uh, to, to have observed some really large changes in how people perceive instruction, pay for instruction, and, and in turn, the industry that's been created by instruction. And that's, that's a very powerful thing. You know, the, the free market is really powerful. Uh, and there's no denying that part of what drives the instruction explosion is revenue. You know, uh, every guy now who can get a garage and throw some turf in there. And now if you put a computer and a television screen up, you are, you have a laboratory or, you know, a hitting lab or, uh, you, you know, you can have an academy. Um, where, where, first of all, where, when did this start? When did this, when did we take this direction and where do you see it going? Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great point. You know, a part of me, you know, a part of me wants to think that this, this started probably with, um, uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the social media boom with Twitter and all these other, you know, avenues to, to get your opinion across, but maybe more realistically, it's always been there, but just maybe in smaller quality quantities right. where people have always done it, but they couldn't affect as many just because they didn't have the platform to be able to do it. But now that everybody can be an expert on, on Twitter or whatever platform they're taking, it seems to be more prevalent. Um, so uh, I think that's had a lot, a lot to do with it. Everybody has their opinion and, and they want everybody else to believe it. So in the past, you only could ruin the kids on your own block. Now <laughs> you could ruin the whole world. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably right. You can in the past you could affect the neighborhood, and now your your platform is that much greater. And and look, I, I love the social. I love social media. I think I think it's like a lot of things. It you know to me, social media is like any other medication. All right, um, uh, you know, in in the right dosage, it's about dosage, right? You know, if you have one drink. You're okay. If you have 12, well, you've got a real problem. Um, it's the same alcohol, you know, it's the same product. It's just the, the, the issue is quantity. What, what strikes me is there's an aggressiveness to instruction now. I'm sure you remember, I, I think the last hitting revolutionary was probably Charlie Lau when he came up with the White Sox and the Royals. Well, first with the Royals and then with the White Sox. You know, George Brett and the impact he had on Hal McRae and all those guys, and then on Frank Thomas. And he had a very distinct style, and it was very different. Now, that was met with some pushback. But what didn't happen is the people who liked Charlie Lau didn't want to imprison the people who didn't like Charlie Lau. Today, it seems like if you don't subscribe to the right narrative, you're on the outside looking in and you're like an outcast. You have like baseball leprosy. And that feels really aggressive to me. Like it's not really about inclusion unless you're including what we believe in and only what we believe in. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I, I don't think there's enough smart conversation going on. It's almost like, hey, either you're going to believe this way or... I'm not going to talk to you and I'm not going to respect your opinion. And, and, you know, I, I remember, you know, I, you know, Charlie Lyle, you know, he was really into the linear type of hitting and, yeah. and before that it was more rotational and, and, and all these different avenues, but it seemed like people were more apt to dialogue about the benefits of, of both and, you know, how both play a role in the swing. But, definitely more black and white now. And if, if you're not on one side or the other, it's, it's pretty hard to, um, it's pretty hard to get an opinion across. As I said to you during our conversation, and I want you to comment on this because I, I think guys like you, I really, and, and in no way is this to Gilda Lily because we've all been in this position, but you're in this really unique position. You know, you get 
And I believe you, you get to enter into this sacred trust with a group of players every year where, you know, you have your guys. And I, I, I just wonder how it is that a guy like you, a Division I college baseball coach with very good players, sort of waters down the level of expectation that your players must have because if they listen a great deal to a lot of what's being said, everyone can hit the ball 500 feet, can throw the ball 100 miles an hour, and could run the 60 in like 6'2". Yeah, that, it, um, I think that's what helps make a, um, a coach a good coach or a great coach is how they communicate information and how the players receive that information. You know, and, and a lot of it has to do with the own player's success and failure. You know, every, I think the first thing a, a coach has to realize is how each player is wired. You have players out there that will latch on to anything you say and then other players that, you know, you have to, you have to prove your knowledge. And I'm not saying one is, is, is right or wrong, but with, with the one that has to prove the knowledge, I think it comes down to success and failure of that particular player. Like at this level, for example, Division One, there are some players that, you know, you call coachable and some that, you know, maybe are more skeptical. And the ones that are more skeptical or, or maybe not quite as coachable, quote unquote, um, you have to let them fail or succeed. You know, if their way works, then, you know, why get in the way of that? Yeah, why would if you care? struggling. <laughs> Right, exactly. You know, if they're struggling, then okay, let's let's break down what we see as some of these struggle points and and where those points of improvement can come from. So, how much, as a coach who is really surveying the landscape on a daily basis, um, how much do you see? Without naming names, I'll name names later because I could afford to get into trouble. <laughs> um, okay. How much do you see of? How much do you see of coaching that has now become me, irrespective of how successful you are, needing for you to do it my way, even in the face of irrefutable evidence that you're doing it right already? How much of that are you seeing? Like, you got to do it my way, come hell or high water. I hear stories. You know, you know, we have transfers and we, you know, we deal with junior college players or we call it, you know, or four two four transfers where they've been to a four year school release and and gone somewhere else and you hear stories you know where you know they made me hit this way and or right. you know i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna play if i didn't listen to you know right. their their way of doing things when it comes to more not, not necessarily playing the game but you know more technique wise and um yeah i think it's definitely out there, there there's no question I, I see it with um you know, with, with even recruiting, you know, everybody wants to put their name on a guy. Yeah. Everybody wants to put their imprint, especially if he's a, especially if he's a prospect, you right, know, everybody right. wants to say, well, you know, I got that guy drafted or <laughs> it was my coaching or my style that, right, that put right. him over the top. And it's really all ego driven. And, and it goes from being a service industry to a self-serving industry. Great quote. I love that. I love that. That's a great quote. I'm totally going to, plagiarize that thing. <laughs> I love that. Um, and that is so true. That's so accurate. I mean, that is really accurate. That's exactly what it's become. Um, talk to me a little bit. Let's say um, I'm going to put you in charge, right? You're now going to be uh, in charge of all of college. Let's say college baseball. If you had a uh, couple of things that you would be able to change, in, in, in essence, summarily, what would they be? Oh, wow. All of college baseball. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ooh, that's look, a big job. <laughs> well, listen, I'm not so sure the guys who are in charge now are doing such a great job. You'd be a lot better, believe me. Well, I appreciate that, Tommy. Um, you know, I like the game. I, there's things about the I think the game's growing. Um, you know, the reason one is has gained popularity. I, I, I like to, you know, the, the, tele, the televised games seem to be up more. Um, you know, they're... I guess if there was one thing that, that, you know, maybe has kind of crept into it, definitely more of a, of a pro approach to the game now that they're implementing all these pace of play uh, rules this year and rules that I can understand maybe more at the major league level. For example, we can no longer, well, we can now just tell the umpire, we don't want to intentionally walk anybody. And I remember not too long ago in my coaching career, I, I remember a game being lost on, a, on an intentional Absolutely. walk past yep. all. Yep. 
and I and I think we lose sight of the fact that we're we're amateur still. We're we're, right. we're not major league players, and they're getting rid of the thirty-one rule where you can't fake the third and throw to first anymore because at the major league level, it's it doesn't work because people don't really steal bases at that level. Right. But at the college, at the college level, it's a more aggressive game. There's 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 more mistakes made, and and that play has worked. It's worked for us and they're going to eliminate that. So I think they're trying to put us on the same level as, as you know, the, the major leagues or pro baseball. And I still think what makes college baseball great is, is the mistakes is the fact that it's a different game. It's not automatic. There, there's, there's ways to put pressure on defenses that work at this level. And it's our job to score runs. And I think college coaches can get more creative in that. And I think, you know, maybe a little bit, a little bit of that is, is taken away with some of these changes. That's a great point because really what you're saying is what people are, the, what people are complaining about in the pro game is just that, that there's not enough action. And what you're doing now is you're taking action away from the amateur game. And you're also taking away circumstances which make players stay more alert. You have to be alert. You have to focus when you have to throw four balls to a catcher outside of the strike zone. You got to make sure you don't throw one over the plate, number one, and that you don't throw one off the backstop. He's got to focus. When you are when you have a runner at first and third, you've got to be alert if the pitcher is going to fake to third and throw it. We, I mean, as coaches, we've reminded our players of that since the beginning of time. Taking that away also takes away part of what makes the game so great, which is the fact that you do have to pay attention. You do want to be alert. You do want to focus. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm that's, I've seen the game lost on, on a bad wild, on a bad intentional walk. I've seen intentional walks with pitches being thrown over the plate or, or even like pitch out thrown over the plate. Mm-hmm. And that's part of being an amateur. You're going to make mistakes. And, um, you know, we're, we're in such a hurry to try to, you know, keep up with football and basketball because they're more high paced games. But what makes baseball great is that there's no clock and maybe we're losing sight of that just a little bit that there is no clock. And, now they're putting in, um, you know, we have uh, um, conference limits. Now you're only allowed a total of six mound visits, uh, yeah. three by the coaches and then three by the position players. So if somebody's on second base picking signs, catcher can't just go out to the pitcher now and, and, and try to change up signs. You know, it, there's a limit now. And if he goes out there too many times and you got to take the pitcher out and um, you know, we've got to be careful on how many times we go out to try to get a pitcher warmed up to face another batter. So that they're eliminating a little bit of the strategy, a little bit of the, uh, the gamesmanship in there and uh, trying to, trying to speed things up. Yeah. I understand you want to speed things up if you have some commercial interest in speeding things up. If fewer mm-hmm. people are watching, you're generating less revenue. The reality is though, the college baseball game, that's not the issue. And most, 99% of the colleges that play baseball, revenue generating is not one of the top priorities. It just is the nature of the game. So um, I also think that the more rules you have, the more conflict you have, the more responsibility you give umpires, and it's difficult enough for them just to call balls and strikes and get out and safe right. I just think a lot of this stuff always took care of itself. You know, an umpire would say, let's go, guys. Got to keep the pace going. If you allowed umpires to sort of take the temperature of the game and dictate the pace on his own, I think a lot of this would write itself without having statutory uh, implementation of these rules that really make stuff a drag for coaches and players. I'm, I mean, I, I just think we're getting so rule-laden and we're not allowing the game to naturally do what it does best, which is, although it's not a fast-paced game, no game has more suspense than baseball. Baseball is a suspense game. You could be on the edge of your seat in a good game from the first inning all the way through the ninth. Yeah, I agree, Tommy. Yeah, I, there's no question. And, and at the end of the day, what are we talking about, eight minutes? Right. You know, minutes, <laughs> Where are people you know, going? It, it's not... <laughs> <laughs> Where's everybody you know, going, like we're Jim? Talking about we're saving an hour here. We're, <laughs> we're taking a three-hour game and making it two hours. We're, we're taking a three-hour game and making it two hours and fifty-five minutes. Right, right. Let Let's shift gears a little bit because I love to. I I, I love stories. I, I love people's stories. I love people's bios. I, I I'm I'm really a, a fanatic. I love to know how people got uh, to where they are. So g- give me. Um. I mean, I know, but give us. 
um, your baseball pedigree. And I know you, you make a stop where we didn't even know that we crossed at Monmouth. But go ahead and, and tell me how you get to North Carolina Central. Wow, that's been... Um been in the right place at the right time and, and have had a chance to um, be given an opportunity by some great people along the way and um, owe a lot of people a lot of gratitude for my career. Um, you know, once my modest playing career was, was finished, I remember I was, um, I was working retail at Sherwin-Williams as an assistant store manager, and I got a phone call one day out of the blue. And um, there was a small Division three school in Western New York that was in its third year of um, of baseball. And they said, you know, we heard you were, you know, back in town. I had a very, very brief appearance in the independent ball after playing Division three baseball at St. John Fisher College. And and uh, I remember the um, I guess it was the athletic director said that we hear that you might have interest in, in coaching this team would you mind coming in for an interview? And here I was working retail and I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is perfect. If I can't play anymore, then, then let's, let's coach. And, um, they offered me the job. Um, the first year we were there, by the way, the program won one game in the previous two years. So obviously it was, um, it was going to be a big project. So the first year we had 12 players, we won four games, um, you know, and it was, it was a grind. It was hard. And like I expected it to be, um, I was learning on the fly. I had, I don't know if I even had an assistant coach to be honest with you at that point. Um, but we found a few players second year. I think we had 13 or 14 players and we won two games, but, um, I really, really felt like I could recruit there. So we put some extra effort into it and, did some different things in my third year. We, I felt like we really got it going. We had a big recruiting class, finally was able to establish some things. And we ended up uh, 500 that year. Uh, I think we were like 17 and 17 or 18 and 18. We came in second place, lost in the championship game of the conference tournament and um, um, wanted to do some bigger things. Was excited about the direction. I think the program was going in the right direction, but uh I wanted to coach at a higher level. And I remember that winter, Monmouth University had an opening. And um, Dean Ead Hall, who I had no connection with, I really didn't know anybody that knew Dean. And um, he took a chance on me and um, really allowed me to get my foot in at the Division One level. I spent the year with uh, Monmouth. It was one of the best learning experiences I've ever had as a baseball coach. I think Dean Ead Hall one of the best uh, – baseball minds I've been around and really soaked in everything that uh, he taught. And from there, I was able to uh, move on to Marshall University um, and uh, interviewed with Dave Peep and Bring Bear. And he was um, another guy that, that gave me an opportunity to, to prove myself at a, at a high level. Marshall was going into Conference USA at the time. And um, Dave um, really, uh, really took me under his wing and and showed me college baseball at a high level and, and what needed to be done at, at that conference USA type level. And unfortunately, Dave wanted to get out of baseball after my second year at Marshall and ended up going in a different direction. So it kind of cut short my, uh, my time there, but the university of Buffalo, which is, which is home for me had an opening and I, I knew the coaching staff there and they brought me on for a great five years. We had a great run. We had some, great players, a lot of guys that got drafted. We had three Mac player of the years with, with Jason Kanzler being one of them and um, really did some great things. And it just so happened, um, we ended up going on a Southern swing, as you pointed out earlier, it always snows in Buffalo, so you don't play many home games. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we're heading down to um, to North Carolina and we played, um, we played NC State, we played ECU, and we happened to play North Carolina Central. North Carolina Central at the time was still going through a transition from Division Two to Division One, so they weren't even full-fledged members of the Division One yet. So we played them at the old Durham Athletic Park where they moved. They filmed the movie right. uh, Bull Durham, mm -hmm. and 
that happens that the uh, Durham Bulls actually take care of the field then, and they still do for us now. So it was beautiful, pro playing surface, great stadium that just redid it. And um, I tell this story to everybody. I remember leaving that weekend thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this place has got a ton of potential. If they're serious about athletics here, I think this program can really do some great things. And um, didn't think anything of it. We played the rest of our season. They, they played uh, the rest of their season. At the end of May, uh, there was an opening. And I remember telling Ron Torgowski, the head coach at Buffalo, I'm going to put my name in for it. And I, re- I remember Ronnie um, telling me, you sure you want to do that? They won six games that year. I think we scored about 60 runs that weekend when we played them. I think Jason, you know, had several home runs that weekend and a bunch of other guys did as well. And he goes, that's going to be, it's going to be quite the project. And, um, I was like, yeah, you're probably right. But I put my name in and I didn't know anybody down there. I didn't, I don't think I had anybody call for me, but they called me up, did a phone interview. I thought it went really well and uh, they brought me down. I remember telling Ronnie before I went down, I said, Ron, if they're serious about this, and this is a good fit. I, I'm I'm going to really, you know, be seriously considering this. And so I went down on the interview, and I thought it went great. The uh, athletic director laid out the plan for me, showed me where we compared to other schools in the conference and where we'd be in five years. And I have to say, everything she told me came to fruition. Um, she really sold me on the university. I went back, told Ronnie, I said, they offer a run. I'm going to take it. And uh, they did. And uh, now, eight years later, here I am, and uh, I think we've done some pretty good things in, in a short period of time, considering this program's only really seven years old. We've only been to Division One baseball now for seven years. And, um, I think we've had uh, a pretty good run with hopefully bigger and better things to come this year and in the years to come. So sell me, sell me your program. I'm a recruit. Um, I've got some other options. Why, why NCCU? Uh, that's that to me is easy. I, I think there's I think there's a there's a product there that that really caters to development, and I'm talking about the development of people um, from a university standpoint with academic support that we have. I think we have tremendous academic support. I think our 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 advisors, our athletic staff, the, the coaches, we care about our kids off the field. I, I want to see every one of our guys go on and do great things in life after baseball. And we want to teach those kids how to be accountable, teach those kids about discipline, time management, what makes people great in life and, and also on the baseball field. And then from a baseball perspective, you know, to me, it's about development as well. I, I'm, I consider myself a teacher. And when we hire our coaches, I, I want them to be teachers as well. And, you know, we're not always getting the same finished product as it may be NC State or UNC, but... I believe that we get players that have that have great athletic ability, that have great character, and at true time they develop to be the type of players that can play anywhere in the state. Um, what about where do you stand? Say, um, scholarship wise, are you commensurate with everyone else that you compete against in your conference? Do you do you are you able to give the same grant and aid as others? Yeah, we're we're competitive within the conference. Okay. You know, I don't. We're, we're not exactly where I want to be yet on a national level from that perspective, which right. um, which makes our job more important as far as recruiting goes. Right. We, we can't make mistakes. We got to make sure that we're bringing in um, people that have a, a, a great understanding of what it means to be a student athlete. You know, we want guys that uh, are good in the classroom, good in the community, good on the field and really want to work for what they've been given. And, you know, and hopefully they earn that money through time and, um, but I'll tell you this, every year I've been there, Tommy, our AD has put us closer and closer to, to where we need to be for, from, a from more of a regional and national level. And, uh, again, I think in due time, we're going to be, we're going to be right where, um, everybody else is. Yeah. I've always maintained that it needs to be a team effort. You could have the greatest coaching staff in the world, uh, but you need the administration. That administration has to be in lockstep with you. Otherwise, you know, you're always fighting an uphill battle. And it seems like you got a great situation going there, and they have a great guy in you. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. (music) 
This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. I want you to do some instructing now. Um, You have an opportunity to talk to 10, and we discussed this uh, during our conversation, 10 young guys with, you know, who come right out of central casting. They just finished playing and, you know, of course, they've got a well-trimmed beard and they're incredibly fit and they probably have a stopwatch and some other mechanical radar gun and a Rapsido and something else as part of their arsenal. What words of advice do you give them as they get into the coaching business in 2019? Because it's very different than from when you got in and certainly from when I got in? Yeah, you know, because of the, um, that's a great question. It, it, boy, it really makes you think. And, um, you know, I think, I think because of the day and age we're in with social media and how easily accessible um, information is, whether it's right or wrong, I think uh, today's, today's 18 to 22 year old needs probably to be shown why and I believe, you know, when I was young, Tommy, maybe when you played too, you know, if your coach told you to do something, you probably just did it because he was your coach. You know, it's almost like parenting. You know, your mm-hmm. father or mother tells you to do something, you're going to do it because yep. that's your mom and dad. Mm-hmm. You know, now I think these kids need why. And maybe not so in, you know, such a you know direct way that I'm saying it, but through the coaching process, I think today's athlete needs to be explained Hey, this is this is why this is going to benefit you. I think that's really important to try to connect with them on that level. I think the intellect, because of the information, I think they also think more, which is which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's probably why, you know, maybe you know some of them latch. Maybe they're not getting that information from the from their coaches, and they latch on to internet or, or or social media for the information that they need. So I think through open dialogue, I think the dialogue has to be their player to coach. The the uh, the communication has to be there, player to coach, and I think things need to be much more open nowadays than uh, than it was back when I played, or probably when you played as well. Yeah, I I think I, I think it's a double edged sword, and I'm I'm learning as you speak here because uh, I'm having these thoughts about how how it really was. You know, I don't I don't romanticize. I, I the first thing I tell my players is it's nonsense that our generation was better or worse than yours. Your generation just has challenges that ours didn't, and the next generation will have mm-hmm. challenges that yours doesn't. Um, some things were better when I was playing, and some things are better today. Certainly, information. God, imagine if you had it in the palm of your hand you know, all the world's knowledge, which you do, we all do in our cell phone. You, I, I think I've become demonstrably smarter since I've, I've got a smartphone because I can answer any question I want anytime I want. Um, and that's a great thing. That's right. um, but I think I, what, what I'm curious about, and, and maybe you could help me with this, is they do think more. There's no question they're thinking more. But they're also more anxious um, I, I said this about a, a lot of my players. Um, a lot of guys, far more so than um, when, when we were playing, suffer from low self-esteem. Uh, and, and I see that manifested in a lot of ways. It's manifest in a reliance on third-person information. They love information. And what I think it's done is it's atrophied their ability to receive the first person information. They don't trust as much what they see as they do what they hear. So they've almost attributed to information they get from someone else a greater credibility than they get from themselves. And I just wonder if psychologically that sends a message to them that they can't trust what they see, which in turn means you can't trust you. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. That, that could be, that could be a part of it. Um, and I know it's I, all uh, about balance, Skip. I, you know, and, I, and if I'm co- if, if I'm your right hand man, I would, I would have this conversation with you. Like, how do we strike the balance? Uh, 
I know there's more information. And information is great, but it's like anything else. The old adages really are true. Everything in moderation. You can have too many. I've seen wonderfully gifted athletes, perfect bodies, skilled beyond your wildest imagination, think they're terrible all the time. Like have to fight them to tell them, please see yourself as I see you. You know, I see you as terrific and you see yourself as flawed. And I think common uh, today's instruction tends to remind the player that he's broken when they're not. They're really close. You don't need to be fixed all the time. Oh, I, I can't agree with you more there. There's, there's no question. Uh, you, you, you're, you're 100% accurate with that. There's way too much fixing going on. If you don't have certain radar gun readings or launch angles or, or whatever other terminology that you want to use, you know, you're not good enough to play the game. And I, I think that is a, a, a big part of some of the self-esteem issues that, that you're alluding to with different players nowadays. But I also think, Tommy, I also believe that we're in a different era, too, where these young men, their parents all are college graduates for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I think there's always pressure to be better than mom and dad. And oh, yeah. and I think there's more pressure from the parents to be better than they were when we were younger playing. You know, maybe not as many people went to college. Maybe not as many parents graduated from college. Great and it point. It was a bigger deal to, to even go. Fabulous. But now that yeah. all these people are professionals and have they done all this, these kids feel more pressure to succeed. But I was the first person in my fam- my entire family, extended family, that even went to college. Forget about graduating. You know, right. I, I, so you're, you're, that is 100%. You're, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I worked with a few guys who played in college in a little pro ball and they can't accept the fact and they hate this. Their kid's not as good as they are. They mm-hmm. can't, yeah. even though their kids are good, it's not that your kid stinks, but you were really good, really good. I saw you play. You may have played for me. I may have played with you. The reality is, your kid's just not as good as you are. And that is a really difficult thing for a lot of parents to accept. Yeah, without question. I, I see it every day. You know, my son plays travel baseball. He's 11. I'm around, I'm around that world a lot. And it, that is a very, very accurate point. And, and these kids feel that pressure because dad, mom, they probably allude to that. You know, they, they, they tell them, hey, this is what needs to happen. And, and, and quite frankly, the kid can't live up to that expectation. It's just physically impossible for him. And what it does is it ends up impeding performance because of that, because they can't live up to that expectation. And ultimately they play with a uh, lack of confidence and fear and, and therefore never reach the potential that they, that they already had. Yeah. And I, I would like to see you, you weigh in on this. I, I, I'm not seeing as much joyful play. You know what I mean? I, I'm just not seeing as much, play. I'm seeing a lot of work. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, grinding. I'm seeing a lot of guys think it's a job. I'm just not seeing as much as I would like to see joyful play. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. And there's always, there's too much. um, And like, again, I'm around it. I see it. There's too much. There has to be a means to an end. It can't be. Right. My my son plays baseball because he loves <laughs> That's baseball. That's it. <laughs> right, right, right. It has to be my son plays baseball because you know what? We want to get him. Right. We want to get him a scholarship, right, or right. he's going to be you know the next uh, Bryce Harper. Right, right. Uh, it's not just hey for the love of the game. So as I said to you the other night, we've commoditized the game. The game now is mm. something you trade for something else. Whereas before you played because you loved playing with your friends and then you loved playing on a team, right? You loved winning. You loved playing against other teams and having a rivalry. It was like a tribal thing that you had right now. It's basically you're a mercenary. You go from one travel ball team. If you don't like the way that works out for you and you're not hitting, you're not playing shortstop and hitting third, you go to another one so that you increase the likelihood. Your commodity becomes more valuable so you could turn it in for a high school spot a college scholarship and someday hopefully uh, a, a draft choice. And, and, uh, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's no longer, it's, it's why I, I don't know about you, but I, my instructions are <laughs> very, very explicit. Uh, you know, when we're out socializing, honey, 
don't tell anybody I'm involved in baseball because it never is. <laughs> it never stops at my kid plays. Never, never. No, and, and it won't. And it won't. <laughs> Everybody wants validation. Everybody wants to know that their kid is good, that they're, you know, that they're going to play in high school or college. And uh, I'm sure we can spend hours on stories. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Okay. And both of our experiences as far as that goes. And so I, I really feel that uh, parents need to let go a lot more than they, than they have lately. From what I can see, at least in my, my little world here. Amen. Amen. Talk to us about uh, Team USA, your, your relationship. Um, I know that that's, that's a really cool gig that you're involved with. Talk about that. Well, it was a great summer. Wow. Um, you know what? It started off with... Um, Eric Campbell is the uh, general manager of the uh, collegiate national team. And I've had a relationship with Eric uh, since I, since I moved down here eight years ago, one of my former players, Tom Murphy who's with uh, the Rockies now. Yeah. Catcher with the Rockies played with Jason at Buffalo. And he was with, um, he was with team USA, both as a collegian and then also on their Pan American team. So I got to meet Eric a few times and, and we've stayed in touch here. So this summer, um, we did a camp together with the ACC tournament and he said, we have an opening on the collegiate uh, staff as a technical advisor for the Taiwan series. So, you know, I got to, I got to be around the, the program and got to throw batting practice to the guys and, and, you know, be able to uh, intermingle a little bit with the coaching staff. And, and that led me to the uh, opportunity of uh, managing uh, one of the team in the uh, 14U national development program. Oh, where wow. We had, 40 of the best uh, 14 and under players in the country and carry here at the USA complex and got to spend seven days of some pretty intense uh, baseball instruction with them. And several of those guys went on to make the 15 U national team played in Panama and won a gold medal. Wow. Wow. That's great to be around kids who are that good. Are, are you going to do that again this summer? I'm hoping they ask me, you know, I, I don't, they, they haven't named uh, the staffs yet for some of the different programs. So I'm hoping I did a good enough job, made a positive impression that I get invited back because it was a great experience. I loved every minute of it. By the way, you mentioned Tom Murphy. Just the next time you talk to Murph, tell him two things. Number one, remember who paid for and provided him with the greatest dinner he has ever had in his entire life in Philadelphia when you guys were in Philly for that uh, three, you know, the Catholic school challenge down there, LaSalle. I don't know if you remember. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. And that uh, he has to do my show. Okay. That's how he has to pay me back. I will. <laughs> he has to pay me back. I will. So Murph, if you're listening, <laughs> call me. Um, great player. I hope he has a great year. Oh, I, I talked to Murph a couple of times a year. Very high baseball IQ. Those, those two guys, I'll tell you what, for a place like Buffalo to get two guys like that, not only who are that good, but who are that smart about baseball is really, really something. You just would never think at the University of Buffalo at the same time, not only were they that good, but they were two really, really high IQ guys. Tommy, I'll tell you this, and um, I've told this to Jason and Tom before. They are two of my all-time favorite players, as you would expect. But those two guys changed the culture with, with the University of Buffalo baseball. They brought guys with them. I call them legacy-type players because when they put all the work in that they did in the weight room on the field and brought everybody on that team with them um, to, to raise their expectations and to work at their level. It, it was a, it was amazing how, how they were able to uh, turn that program around and, and really have it take off. That's a credit to their character as well as the work ethic and talent that they had. They're two of the most compelling young college players I've ever been around. They were, they were very rare in that they were compelling. When they spoke, let's face it, we're older, they're younger. Most times they're speaking, we're not listening because you know, they're speaking in language we don't understand. But when those guys were talking, I was, I was transfixed on their conversation. It was so beyond uh, their age, what you would expect from guys who are 19, 20, 21 years old that it was just something you couldn't stop listening to and then engage in. It was like I was dealing with these old baseball souls who were in 20-year-old bodies. Yeah, you're right. And, and that's why Tom's a major leaguer and, and, and Jason is doing what he's doing yep. in professional baseball and, and moving on up because 
they're pretty special people. Yep, they certainly are. Good for both of us that we had uh, and still continue to have uh, such good relationships with both of them. Uh, we're going to play a little game now, Jim. Everybody plays it. Okay. All right. Hope you got your rosin bag. Are you loose? Did you? Here's another, I'm, Jim, here's another one. Here's another one of my pet peeves. Here's another one of my pet peeves. You're 19, right? You're one of the best players in the country. It's 91 degrees. It's late June. And you need 40 minutes to get loose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can I, can I just say this really quick? There was something on Twitter as a football coach. <laughs> Uh, and you might have seen it. Uh, I don't remember who the coach was, but his point was we didn't stretch when we stormed the beach in Normandy or something to that effect. And I was I was dying because he was talking about stretching and how it takes these guys 20 minutes to stretch every day. It's, that's a funny point. I, I, <laughs> I stood around with my fungo bat chomping at the bit like we got to get working. Let's go. Nope. You know, it's 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 like they start with like their index finger and they work to the middle finger. You, know, you got to make sure the middle finger is loose because. Some guy said, some guy said, you know, for every one degree of, you know, flexibility you lose in your middle finger, it translates into one mile an hour on your fastball. Like, come on. You know, and, and I, I don't want to back, I don't want to circle back to this, but I have to. What it's also hurt, it's, here's what it's robbed our players of. And I'm, and, and I've, you know, we've had this discussion. I'm about the play. I don't care about anybody. I don't care about the league, the umpires, the parents, or anybody else. I care about the players. And what it's robbed the players of, is this ability to sort of have a smell test. You know, if you took your kid to the doctor, he had a cold and the doctor said, we got to chop off his ear. You wouldn't just tell the doctor, okay, chop off his ear. You'd go to another doctor. Our players would have their ear chopped off because somebody said it. Where it just, it's ridiculous that you have to spend 40 minutes to get loose to play a baseball game where there's 10 minutes of action, guys. Come on. Really? Yeah, that's a great point. And then you know what? To counter to counter that point a little bit, or reinforce it, I should say, then the kid can come off the bench in the ninth inning without <laughs> having to do anything in, in two hours and be able to go pinch run or pinch hit, <laughs> and, and barely takes right. five minutes to get loose. Shouldn't his leg fall off if this was? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if this yeah. was true, a limb should definitely fall off. That should be the consequence. Yeah. Yep, that's that's right. <laughs> oh man, this is great. All right, so we're gonna play. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I just can't take it that seriously. I'm, it is laughable. After a while, you either get really angry or you just start laughing at it because you know today I'm 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 reading on Twitter some kid took his last year off as a pitcher. I'm laughing at the poor kid. He's 22 and he went to to train. He took a year off to train. And now he's sending out videos on Twitter and he's throwing like, you know, they've got the, the miles per hour lit up and he's throwing against bad hitters. And I'm counting and he's throwing like 12 out of 32 strikes. I think I sent you the, Twitter, the, the tweet. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Didn't that kid in another era would have said, no way, I'm not doing this. He would have trusted his own instincts. And I think what we're doing is we're robbing kids of, of instinctively understanding what's in their best interest and being Self-advocates, I guess, is what I'd like to see them be. Be able to make your own decisions based on what your instincts are is right or wrong for you. Yeah, that's a, that's a shame to hear that. Why would somebody not want to play for a year? That, 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 to me, that to me blows me away. Well, you're, you're involved more than I am in youth ball. You see kids taking long swaths of time off. I can't believe that kids take like the month of August off. What? Mm. Like travel ball. Yeah, well, you know, and then we'll pick it back up in the fall. I hate to tell you, this is not, you know, the guitar. You can't do this your whole life. The window is shutting very quickly. You don't get an email. Basically, it ends. And it ends for almost everyone quicker than you want it to end. So you should be playing all day and night. That's my opinion. I think there's, I don't think you can play enough if you really want to improve like at anything else. And what's happened is we've made not playing. I see it in the Cape. Guys go home. You know, their arm's a little tender. They go home. They have no problem taking the end of June, July, August off, and then going back for a short fall, taking, you know, the end in October 1st, go into the weight room, and then I'll see you on January 1st or whatever it is. 
Sounds like a lot of time yeah, you're not spending. Yeah, especially for guys that want to play professional baseball. Right, right. You, which is an everyday game. You know, you, you're not preparing yourself to do that. But I've heard and I've heard and I've experienced high school seniors not yes. wanting to play their, their yes. senior year because they've Thank already you. signed. Yes. Um, they're going to get ready for travel ball or they don't <laughs> like the coach. Now, I've seen it happen and it, it blows me away and you, you fight it and you're like, well, no, if you don't play, that's a problem. Um, Wouldn't you consider that summer your most important? You're going to now go to college where Coach Kerner is going to see you for the first time. Wouldn't you want to be playing you would want to be taking fungos on the drive to the university so that you are so sharp that when you see me, you can't take your eyes off of me. Why would you risk taking month, two, three months off in the summer to, for what, to what end? Exactly. You know, especially for a hitter. Right. You, you know, where, where you, the timing aspects of it, um, a month off for a hitter or two weeks off for a hitter, a week off for a hitter is detrimental, let alone three months. Right. It could be fatal. It could be fatal. You know, you see me, all of a sudden you're seeing a different player than you recruited. Like, Tommy, what, what did you do? Well, I didn't play this summer. Oh, really? It shows. And, and, and it yeah, does. I see it with our guys. I see it with our guys coming off of injury. Guys that can't play in the summer because of an injury or surgery and they come back in the fall. And you can see how, how rusty they are and, and the lack of timing, lack of bat speed, lack of pitch recognition. Uh, it's, it's a huge, huge detriment. Um, you know, I tell our guys every day, you know, baseball is made to be played every day. Yep. Yep. And I don't know if left to your own devices, kids would make, take all this time off, but they're not left to their own devices because they don't play anything that's not organized. So if something's not organized for them, they can't play because you'd be out playing by yourself. There's nobody else to play with. Uh, yeah, that's great. It all gets back to that wiffle ball game when you're 10 years old. There's not enough, not enough of those going around anymore. That's right. That's absolutely right. So um, let's play some quick pitch. You ready? Here we go. Okay. All right. And we're off. Favorite food? Chicken. <laughs> Just all chicken. Fried? Grilled? Oh, man. Um, Weight bogs chicken? Barbecue chicken. Nah, barbecue chicken. Right. Well, my wife's going to kill me with that answer. My wife's a... My wife's a chef, and I just said barbecue chicken. Oh, and my she's God. She's absolutely murder me with oh that answer goodness. when she hears this podcast. We're not editing. What's it? the next one? We're not editing. <laughs> Kinsler, Kinsler actually wanted editorial control. He actually demanded editing Kinsler. Imagine that. What a diva. That okay. doesn't surprise me. No, He's not a control freak. Right. He is a little I'm bit. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, what's your favorite late night snack? Oh, ice cream, hands down. Bowl of ice cream every night, Tommy. What flavor? Any flavor that, any flavor. I'll, I am not a prisoner to any one flavor of ice cream. You know, I could eat ice cream every single night. If I didn't, for some reason, just not do it, I could. You know, if you told me, just go ahead, you're never going to gain another pound, you're going to be in perfect shape, I would eat ice cream every single night, late at night. There's nothing like it. How great is that? Um, yeah, it's amazing. And I, and I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in good shape. Uh, good for you. Um, what's your favorite sound? The crack of a bat. We get that a lot. We get right, Miles. We get that a lot. Baseball guys, crack of a bat. Um, it is a cool sound. It really is a, a well struck. You could hear a good hitter. Um, okay, you got uh, they outlaw baseball tomorrow. Okay, what do you do? Administration, athletic administration. Okay, cool. Ad. Okay. Um, three dinner guests, no longer living, no relation to you. Who would they be? Ty Cobb, Ted Williams, Babe Ruth. Wow. All baseball guys. All guys that I've always had. And if I had to pick a fourth, it'd be Joe Jackson, just because I wanted to find out the real story. Right, right. That would be great. That would be some foursome, fivesome. You and those four guys. That's great. What, what do you love? Why, why Ted Williams? Because he was, he was the best. I always considered Ted Williams the best hitter. Um, and, and to, to even go a little deeper in the Ted Williams story, being from Buffalo, they filmed the natural, the movie, the natural yes, in Buffalo and Roy Hobbs, the main yep. character were number nine. And um, from what the directors say, he was based off of Ted Williams's character. 
So when I was, nine, I think I was nine when the movie came out, once I heard that, I tried to find every book and article I could on Ted Williams and kind of became um, just a fan of his. And and then, you know, reading The Science of Hitting, I think I read The Science of Hitting when I was still a teenager. Right, everybody read um, that book. And it was just something that grabbed me and someone that I would just love to sit and talk hitting with for a three-hour dinner. Yeah, and the next time any big leaguer thinks he's got it rough, remember one thing. Ted Williams uh, lost five years in his prime to two wars, World War II and the Korean War, where he was a top-flight fighter pilot, which was like the highest rate of, uh, you know, you had the most like chances of, of dying when you were one of those fighter pilots. Uh, and also, I think, one of the great fly fishermen ever. Okay? Like, Ted Williams yeah. was really, he was, he was John Wayne before John Wayne. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. People don't even remember. They don't even realize that what his numbers could have been five years in his prime. Right. And Babe Ruth lost four years to being a pitcher. Because yeah, one of the greatest right. pitchers of all time. So imagine what his numbers would have been like. So when my, when my students or my players start to invoke greatest players of all time and they don't mention anybody who, <laughs> they don't mention anybody who played before 1997. Okay, I I try to give them some perspective, which is a difficult thing to do with with, with our players. Um, go ahead. My my thought on Babe Ruth is that um, if he's not, and and I know I can get an argument on this, but if he's not the greatest baseball player of all time, then somebody's really going to have to convince me of who is. And simply simply for me, by the fact of how much he dominated over his peers. And I, I think the, the way he stood out over everybody else in that era, he, he's the best ever in my mind. And he did it as a pitcher as well. Right. I said, uh, during the Hall of Fame voting, I said this, I don't believe anyone should get 100% of the vote. I think it's a bad precedent to set. I, I said, and here's the one reason, because the Hall of Fame is about the history of the game. And there is one figure who looms the largest over the history of the game. I don't know that there's any way, by any way of measuring, I don't think there's any way of measuring the chasm that exists between Babe Ruth and whoever's the second best player of all time. It is such a distance that you shouldn't even bother measuring it, not only because of what he did relative to his competition, what he did relative to everybody who's ever played the game since, and he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Oh, and by the way, he saved the game. He saved the game after the Black Sox scandal. Babe Ruth single-handedly took the game on his shoulders and brought it back to legitimacy. I, I don't know how people even, you know, I, I understand lots of arguments, lots of sides on, on lots of arguments, but Babe Ruth? You're kidding me, right? It's not even close. <laughs> not even close. Anyway, um, Jim, I knew you were going to be great. I got to have you back. We're going to have you back on, when you get into your season and you get off to like a record-setting start, and uh, you're hot, and your team's firing on all cylinders, we're going to touch base again and have you back. Uh, I can't tell you uh, how much it's meant to me to have you on. You just got, you ooze credibility. I just, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've seen a lot of guys, and uh, I, I just, I said it to Jason the other day. I said, man, I, I know the future is real bright for you. You're going to do more great things. Uh, nothing but great things is going to come to you because, uh, not only because of what you know, uh, but because of who you are. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, sharing this hour with us. Tommy, this is great. I appreciate you having me. And I hope you give me a call. I'd love to come back anytime. I definitely will. And uh, we are going to take you out to our guy, Freddie Mercury and Queen, Jim Kerner. Our guy. Wish him the best of luck this year. North Carolina, you guys are going to do great. Miles, thank you. <laughs> Emmy Rossum. Good work, man. Good work. Everybody out there, have a great week. Mom and Dad, love you.
thanks for listening to the conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at Tommy Weber B-Ball or Instagram at Tommy Weber Baseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com.